one thing that is frustrating about the profession is having to explain the role of a nurse practitioner. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Health Careers with Dr. Marn, yours truly. Thank you for joining me, thanks for your support. Today we have an awesome episode with another wonderful guest who is excited, genuinely excited about what he's doing and how he's helping people. Uh, we're going to talk with someone who is in the mental health field. Uh, his name is Dr. Kojo Sarfo. He's a nurse practitioner who specializes in mental health. Uh, or psychiatry, specifically forensic psychiatry. And we're going to learn how he's having not only a notable impact on people clinically, but also a profound impact in social media. Uh, in fact, Dr. Kojo Sarfo has, uh, as of today, which is April 2021, has over 700,000 followers on TikTok. I'm not sure how many followers he has on Instagram, but he has a, a lot of people following him and and that's because he his message is resonating with a lot of people and he's trying to educate a lot of people about mental health uh through social media i think that's a fantastic and important thing to do so i'm very lucky that he came on board very wonderful guest very respectful very professional and very insightful person as well so before we jump into that please if you like this episode you like this podcast i would love it if you could give me a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you utilize. You can also leave a wonderful comment if you can, preferably nice ones versus not so nice ones. And check out my website. On my website, there are blog posts for every episode where you can actually hear the, read the transcript and also listen to the episode for each guest. And there's also the links if you ever want to get a hold of those guests as well. So please check that out. Uh, of course, you can also reach me through my website and email me and you if you need to contact me for whatever reasons or if there's any particular guests that you'd like to hear about. But without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Another great episode here. Today, I have uh, Dr. Kojo Sarfo. Hi, Kojo. Welcome. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'd like to jump right into it, Kojo. Can you please give me a quick bio of yourself? You know, something in about 30 seconds or so, just so people kind of know a little bit about you. For sure. My name is Kojo. I'm a board-certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. I got my uh, degree from Augusta University. So that's a, a DMP, a doctorate of nursing practice degree with a specialty in psychiatry. Prior to that, I got my bachelor's from Western Governors University, which is an online school in Utah, Salt Lake City. Uh, and I did my uh, training, um, my nursing training at the University of West Alabama. I got my associate's degree in nursing um, in 2013. Uh, and that was what kind of propelled this whole career. And you know, it started my nursing journey. As a nurse practitioner, what do you do clinically? Like, what exactly are you doing in healthcare? Right. So it it depends on the specialty, whether it's acute care, geriatrics, psychiatry. Yeah. Uh, but a nurse practitioner, they uh, assess, they diagnose, they treat patients. Um, and within you no know, psychiatry, they also pro uh, provide supportive psychotherapy as well. Uh, and you do this uh, either with a master's degree or a doctorate, but you need at least a master's degree. 
Uh, and in some states, it varies because uh, in some states like Georgia, which is the state where you have to uh, have a collaborating uh, physician. So this is a physician who uh, reviews sometimes the you know requirements are different, but you have to have uh, in say Georgia, the physician have to review at least 10 percent of your charts. Um, and in uh, Virginia, where I started my career, uh, you have to have five years of having a collaborator before you can be independent. Uh, and other states like Arizona, Washington State, from the moment you graduate, you can be independent as a nurse wow. practitioner. So uh, you are a clinician uh, in healthcare, similar to your colleagues who are physician assistants or your colleagues who are uh, physicians. Uh, but the training is, is different. And uh, the main thing, the main difference between the nurse practitioner and the um, physician route is that um, the, the residency, which is required for physicians, is not required for nurse practitioners. It's optional, and they do have residency programs, but it's not required, like where physicians have to match into a certain program. I would say that's one of the biggest differences. Since we're talking about steps to get to your degree, what are the usual steps to achieve your professional degree? Like, what are after high school, what do you usually right. have to do? So after high school, the most linear path, what you want to do is you want to go into a four-year program uh, and get your bachelor's of science in nursing. And then after you do that, you can get experience if you want. I think it's a good thing to get experience if you're going to be a nurse practitioner because, like I said, you, you, you don't have the requirements of that residency that physicians have. So you're going to be drawing on your experience as a nurse when you were working with the charge nurse and the residents and the attendings. All of those things, you know, are helpful. Uh, but the most linear path, you need a four-year uh, bachelor's of science and nursing degree, or you can get the associates, then get the bachelor's. But to keep it you know, straightforward, you get a four-year nursing degree. Uh, and then after that, you get a master's of science in nursing for your nurse practitioner. And that's a two-year degree. Uh, if you want to go the extra year for your doctorate, you can. Uh, but for a high school student, you could graduate, do a four-year program in nursing, and then you could do a two-year you know, uh, master's level graduate program. Uh, to receive a nurse practitioner degree. So you can do it in six years. What is the best part of your career? The best part of my career is uh, the versatility. And, you know, for me, within psychiatry, the fact that I got to go to the nursing route and spend so much time with the patients and then working on the unit, you know, as a RN, uh, I got to learn from the charge nurses and I got to learn from the psychiatrists and I got to ask all these questions which prepared me for my schooling, you know, as a nurse practitioner. So once I got into the profession, you know, the, the best part is that you get to be a clinician, you get to have your own patients assess, diagnose, treat, refer out, um, provide, you know, supportive psychotherapy. Uh, and at the same time, you're in a position to where you can learn. You know, most states require you to have a collaborating uh, physician. And even in states where it's not a requirement, it's always a good idea to, you know, have buddies who have been nurse practitioners for many years or to have a psychiatrist or a physician in whatever specialty uh, you're in uh, that you can talk to. The path I have to take uh, requires you to go through so many hoops and then you meet so many people. So getting to meet different people in different specialties is very helpful for when you start to practice. So you can ask questions because you're going to have a lot of questions when you start. It's going to be confusing. So the fact right. that you've gone through the nursing path, you have so many you know people you can you know ask questions and you know get help. Uh, from. And what's your least favorite part of your career? The least favorite part of my career uh, is probably the, the the best, you know, the fact that you can start, you can go from being a, a nurse, you know, carrying out the orders to being a provider. But at the same time, when you started off as a nurse and then you switched to being a provider, it's difficult to turn that switch on. 
Cause mm-hmm. you know, especially if you've worked as a nurse for so long, cause you're used to getting the orders from the physician, you know, and then you become so good at executing it. And then you have to tap into a different part of your brain to be the person who is calling the shots, putting the orders in, making a diagnosis. So it's difficult or it was difficult for me at first to, you know, flip the switch and go from the, the, the RN to the provider. Yeah. Uh, and for some people it's easier or harder, but it was just difficult having to adjust from going to just carrying out the orders to now I have to be able to explain the medication, the side effects, why we chose this over that. A different mindset. Right. But Kojo, is there a part of your job that is the least part that the that you like doing or the least favorable part that you don't look forward to? Well, w- within psychiatry as a nurse practitioner. Yeah. And as somebody who's worked in an inpatient setting, one thing that I don't like is when you have somebody who comes in and they're aggressive to- either towards themselves or other people uh, and you have mm. to force medications. Uh, and a lot of times you have to do that for their safety or for the safety of other people. Uh, you have to go through a process where you have to get a second opinion and forcing medication on somebody uh, can be quite difficult, you know, to see them, you know, it can be traumatic. So I hate doing it, but working inpatient, I had to do that, you know, a lot. Giving them a shot physically right. or right. just overriding their desires? What do you mean by force? For If somebody is coming in, they're having a psychotic break and, yeah. you know, they're trying to harm themselves or other people, you know, if you're in a, if it's a situation where it's emergent and there's a crisis on your hands, you have to go ahead and maybe put them in the chair, administer antipsychotics and things of that nature. And we do that frequently uh, in psychiatry. So that's something that I don't particularly like to do, but to take your question from a different angle, just for nurse practitioners as a whole, one thing that is frustrating about the profession is having to explain the role of a nurse practitioner. (laughs) <laughs> okay. And a lot of times, the, the funny thing is that sometimes you have colleagues who are nurse practitioners, but let, let's say they're FNP, family NP. Sometimes they don't know the scope of practice of a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Oh, yeah. You know, so even within the nurse practitioner profession, different specialties oftentimes don't know how to explain, you know, uh, what each does. So of right. course, you're going to have PAs who don't know the role of nurse practitioners and PAs, to my knowledge, they can bounce from specialty to specialty. Whereas with the nurse practitioner route, you specialize in a certain thing. And of course, you have physicians who don't know what the role is. So when you go to a new hospital, uh, you may have to let them know this is what you can do. So you, you would think that they would know, uh, but it's 2021 and we still have to do more education about what each career does. And this podcast is a fantastic way of doing that to let everybody know what we all kind of do. Thanks, Kojo. But since we're talking about that, Sure. There seems to be some misunderstandings. So what is some misconceptions, misconceptions people have of maybe not only nurse practitioners, but also psychiatric nurse practitioners? So a lot of people, for psychiatric nurse practitioners, a lot of people are not aware that psych NPs can provide psychotherapy, whether that's some form of CBT or um, motivational interviewing. People don't see psych NPs as psychotherapists, and you can actually provide therapy. Uh, and also for nurse practitioners as a whole, some people don't realize that they can assess patients and actually diagnose because people know it to be an advanced practice degree, which it is. But sometimes yeah. people will focus in and key in on the nurse part and say, a nurse uh-huh. can't diagnose, a nurse can't assess, a nurse can't prescribe medications. You know, whereas every site, every nurse practitioner can do that. It just depends on the state law. Some states, you know, you can't prescribe like schedule two stimulants and things like that. And some states you can, but every nurse practitioner can assess, diagnose and treat. And a lot of people don't know that. 
I think it's important to highlight that depending right. on where you live. Exactly. The, the your state, state laws, it can determine your your range of practice. Right. Your scope of practice. Your scope of practice. For sure. Got it. Got yeah. it. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad we went over that. <laughs> what is as a nurse practitioner, right. what is your typical day like? How would you describe that? Start to finish. Like right. know, what time you get in, in the morning and when you what the day is like, how many patients to see, what type of patients you're seeing, mm-hmm. what you're doing for them, and then you know when you leave. So I was working uh, in forensic psychiatry uh, in Southern Virginia. So a typical day for me, I would come in, uh, I would check the emails, you know, and I would go in and see if I had any admissions overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had any admissions overnight, I would normally the social worker. She was on top of things. She was fantastic. So she would send emails, and I would have collateral information on the patient. So I would read about the patient and see what's going on. Uh, is this somebody who needs to be seen right away? Yeah. And if so, if they're like, you know, if they had been in the chair overnight or if they're having a crisis, you go and you see them, make sure that they're stable. Then you review and get some collateral information. And, uh, I would do my best to knock that out first thing in the morning. So that way, when I go into morning report and I get the report from the nurses, I know exactly what's going on. And I'm, you know, not clueless as to what's going on, you know, on the unit. Uh, and after we get morning report, then we'll have uh, treatment team meetings. Some days we have the treatment team meetings, like around 1 p.m. or so, or some days we'd have after morning report. Yeah. And the treatment team meetings are where you would bring the patients in and you would do it like after they had been there for 72 hours or two weeks or you know, a month, you would bring them in and you would sort of discuss the game plan. You would review the diagnosis. Uh, you would see how the patient has been doing, see if they've been refusing medications. Are they getting better? Um, are they, you know feeling like they need more time to be in the hospital or sometimes you have to make the executive decision and say, even though this patient wants to go home, we still need them to, you know, be more compliant with medications. We want them yeah. to be free of self-harm for at least seven days or two weeks. So we, we would go over the goals and objectives of what we want to see. And this is where we would call the family members and get their input. Um, and pre-COVID, we'd actually have the family members come in sometimes and talk with the patient. And that was very helpful because right. these guys and girls were stuck in the inpatient hospital for sometimes months to years. So when they'd have like, months family, to years. Yeah. Within the forensic setting, a lot wow. of them were stuck for a long time. Uh, but if somebody came in and it was, they had like a psychotic break and they needed to be placed on the meds, they could leave like much earlier than that. But it was helpful to have family, you know, coming in and giving their input. Uh, and family is also great for collateral information. They can let yeah. you know how the, the patient was like at home. So we would do that. And assuming it was a day where we had the treatment team meetings in the morning, after that, then I would go see my other patients on the unit. And I would start off with the patients who had recent medication changes. I would go see them and I would see the stable patients last. And I would just more so see, hey, are you doing good? You know, any issues? And then I would go to lunch. And after lunch, I would have to, you know, get some coffee, make sure that I'm not falling asleep. And then <laughs> I would do charting, you know, and then the charting could take me from like 1 p.m. to 5. But at the wow. same time, working in uh, inpatient state hospital, uh, you can have, uh, you know, uh, a code. Every hospital is different, but sometimes you'll have like a, a code gray or something like that where, or a code that white mean? where you'd have a, a psychiatric emergency, like a patient fighting or something like that. Um, and then you have to address the situation. If they go in restraints, you have to see them within the hour. So that could throw off your whole, the whole flow of the day. So you, you never know when those things happen, but you have to quickly take care of it and then kind of get back to your, your day to day, you know, routine. Coach, are you, you yourself physically restraining these patients when you need to? You are not. And uh, a lot of times, psychiatric nurse practitioners, 
sometimes it's it's difficult for us because you've been a nurse, so you've been like helping to text restraining yeah. patients sometimes. But when you go into the NP role, you become the provider. So you're not physically restraining a patient, but you're giving the orders to the nurses and the techs to say, hey, this patient needs to go in the chair. Nice. Uh, you know, maybe they're banging Understood. their head or something. Yeah, so you yeah. would, you know, call out the orders and they would follow, but you're not physically restraining them yourself. I see. Got it. And what is forensic psychiatry? You mentioned that before. What is that? Right. So it's psychiatry within the forensic setting. And the way I see it, it's very complex because you have patients who have a legal history. You know, a lot of them have committed crimes anywhere from petty theft to homicide and okay. arson. Uh, and it's psychiatry, but you have to add the forensic component in there. So you have to think about the patient's charges, um, how safe they are to go back into the community. If they're a registered sex offender, you have to keep those things in mind when they go out on the pass. So you have to take into account so much more. You know, you have to figure out the legal situation. And so, sometimes if it's a high profile case, you might have to go to court. You might be subpoenaed. Uh, the judge might want to know what type of care you're providing for a patient. Cause I was on a, uh, NGRI unit. So that means not guilty by reason of insanity. So my unit was pretty unique to where, uh, they will come from a maximum security psychiatric facility to my hospital. And then what I would do, I would assess, you know, the patient, check the diagnosis, make sure I agree with it. If I change it, provide a rationale as to why I changed it, continue medications or, you know, put them on something else. And then we would work on something which we call the conditional release plan. So these, because they're, they're NGRI, they're not guilty by reason of insanity. So if they were, if they didn't have a mental health condition, they would be incarcerated. You know, so we work with the psychologist closely with them and the social workers to make sure that they go through a graduated privileging system. Uh, and as they become more and more stable and as, as they demonstrate that they are safe to go back in the community, the conditional release plan will allow that person to go back into the community, but they have to be in somewhat of a controlled environment to make sure that they're, you know, still taking their medications, that they're not going to be harmful towards themselves or anybody else in the community. So it's pretty unique. So forensic psychiatry relates to people who have had issues with the law? Right. And so you, part of your job is to assess how and when they can be put back into the general population. For the patients who are in NGRI, not, not guilty for yes. insanity. Uh, and some patients, but depending on the crime or what happened, they may never be in the community as we know it. You know, they may have to go into oh. special housing, um, especially if they've had a, a, you know, a crime that was quite egregious or if, you know, they're a sex offender or something like that. Got it. Got you have it. to find like specialized homes for them. So uh, it depends on the patient. You're basically all the patients you take care of typically have been through jail. Right. Got it. Right. Can you tell us uh, a story or some of the patients that you've taken care of that where you really had an impact on their, their care or their life? Yeah. Um, one patient comes to mind. He had, uh, you know, he went to jail um, uh, for an offense and he was deemed to be not guilty by reason of insanity. And he had issues to where like he would go through the privileging system and he would do well. And right before he would get out, he, something would happen. Maybe he would you know, decompensate or stop taking his medication. So he would yeah. have to start back over again. And he had been in the hospital for at least five years. You know, he had spent the majority of his 20s in the hospital. Uh, and when I transferred his care to a different provider, uh, the last that I heard from him, he was like almost ready to get out. 
Uh, he had had a job in the community. He was stable. He didn't like, uh, you know, the oral medication. So we transferred him to a long acting, um, injectable. Some patients mm. prefer that, you know, because, you know, there's a stigma associated with taking pills every day. So mm. if you're able to, you know, put them on a shot, like once every two weeks or once a month, uh, sometimes that boosts their confidence and you just have to make sure that they're stable and that they're following through with, um, you know, therapy, medications. Uh, but this guy, he became stable. Uh, I want to say that he wasn't hearing as many voices. Uh, his mood was much more even. And I want to say he got a job in the community. Like he was working and doing really well. And I would see him sometimes like ride his bike around the city, uh, like even when I, I was driving home. So it was good to see somebody who, when I first met him, he was very aggressive, amped up. I was, you know, sort of, he just had this angry affect to him. And after, you know, work with him for a couple of months to see him in a better place and that much closer to going back uh, into the community, because it's when, you, when you've been in the system for the majority of your twenties, yeah. it's tough to transition back yeah. to, you know, the life that we live. In scary. Yeah. Be very scary. That's a great story of how you've helped one person especially when they've gone through the legal system and they've been, right. they have a, a rap sheet and such. So that's really awesome that you're able to do that. In terms of the outlook for this type of career, what do you think that looks like? I think the outlook is is fantastic. You know, I, I think we're at a point in time where, and as you can see with COVID, there's a, a growing mental health crisis, you know, for mm. um, everybody, you know, you know, COVID has not discriminated, you know, whether you're a healthcare professional or whether you're just an individual, it's been tough to adjust. You know, we've had to go from working in hospital to working at home. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost, you know, family members. So uh, with this career being one of the careers that I think is better suited for, you know, the telemedicine sort of setting, I think we're going to see a lot of people um, pursue psychiatry, uh, if not through the you know, the psychiatrist route uh, or the PA route through their nurse practitioner uh, route. I think you have a lot of people, especially nurses, and there are some programs that allow people to get into a nurse practitioner track without having been a nurse before. Yeah. Um, and it's a kind of a controversial program. I don't know too much about that because I went through the nursing track. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think the outlook is, is very encouraging for anybody who wants to, you know, do psychiatry from a nursing, um, you know, background. You're never going to be out of a job, uh, you know, and you can work inpatient, you can work outpatient, you can set up your own practice, you can collaborate with other providers. There's always going to be somebody who needs someone to talk to, somebody who needs medication. So uh, if you're an empathetic person and you want to be, you know, part of the solution, I think the outlook is, is very promising. That's, I think that's a great point you brought up. Occupations that come to mind of people that work in mental health with a professional degree, a graduate degree are a nurse practitioner, like you mentioned, a PA, uh, a psychiatrist, which is a physician, right? but also psychologists where they get their, their right. psych D or PhD. PhD yeah. um, those are the main ones, at least that I can recall, but I have a graduate degree right. that work in mental health. Right. Got it. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah, those five. What are the type of students you think best flourish in a nursing practitioner career, especially in this kind of psychiatric realm? The people who would best flourish in this environment, I would probably say are individuals who, you know, they have concerns about what they want to do, but they know that they want to be in the mental health field. People who pursue the psychiatric nurse practitioner track have to ask themselves whether they want to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And sometimes because my role is so hard to explain, I would I, I sometimes tell people on TikTok, 
I say, uh, you know, think of it as if a psychiatrist and a psychologist had a baby, you know, because <laughs> uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Because uh, to, to pursue a PsyD track, you would have to either go to grad school for at least three or five years. I want to say, uh, don't quote me on that, but I want to say, and then obviously a psychiatrist, four years of med school, four years of residency, yeah. maybe an extra fellowship after that. Yeah. So the fact that the training is more concise, you know, as a psychiatric nurse practitioner, it is shorter. Um, and provided that you have a good support system around you, that's the thing. You have to have people that you trust, you know, other providers that you admire how they go about, you know, their day-to-day activities. Um, provided you have that, you can do a nursing degree or a four-year, you know, like a four-year nursing um, degree, and then you can do two years. You don't even have to get your doctorate. You can do a two-year yeah. uh, master's uh, degree program. Like and, you did. Uh, yeah. Right. And and you can go ahead and start to to see patients, and you can prescribe medications. That's the, the difference between the PA, the NP, uh, the MD or DO, and then the PsyD, and then the PhD. You know, as a nurse practitioner, you can prescribe medications, which is you know big for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, being able to prescribe medications and help and and administer therapy. Got it. Right. Let's do some rapid fire questions. For sure. A little bit about you, if you don't mind. You ready? I'm ready. All right. I noticed you were wearing a Lakers outfit before. So what's your favorite sports teams? Uh, my favorite sport in basketball is the Lakers. Uh, in football, it's the uh, Tennessee Titans. Um, that's my favorite football team. My favorite baseball team is the Atlanta Braves. Um, and I guess favorite soccer team would be Chelsea. Wow. All right. Favorite types of books you like to read? The God of Small Things. The God of Small Things. I read that book in high school. I thought it was just a fascinating book. The Alchemist is a good book. Those two come to mind, but in general, I like to read nonfiction books. I remember, you know, we didn't have video games and things yeah. like that growing up. I couldn't afford it, so there was like a little mobile library that would come by. Oh yeah, when we were growing up as kids, and I would go in there and I would read autobiographies about people like you know Martin Luther King and Bill Clinton. Uh, so that was like a you know a hobby of mine as a kid, and I still like reading nonfiction um, stories. That's awesome. Your favorite musical instrument that you play or like to listen to? Uh, guitar, acoustic guitar. If you're stuck in an island and could bring only two things with you, what would you bring? Uh, can it be people or no things? Things, things. things. Uh, I would bring my acoustic guitar and I would bring my electric bike. All right, that's that's different. Got it. I'm not sure how I, 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 I would. I don't know how you charge to it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I would be stuck. Um, from a scale of one to ten. How hot do you like your shower water? Ooh, 8.5. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you remember any advice or comments that had a significant impact on how you lived your life so far? Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. I don't remember who told that to me. I think it was an advisor somewhere along the way. Yeah, But right. that phrase kind of motivated me to just believe in myself and know that I can do the things that I want to do. Kojo, what do you most value in friendship? Respect and loyalty. And what leaders do you most admire and why? Uh, Great question. I admire um, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, and uh, Nelson Mandela. You know, I admire people who... Great leaders. You know, were able to be dominant without having to exert they never have to overspeak or do anything aggressive but their presence was felt just by who they were two more questions what would you consider to be the top two or three qualities that have made you successful 
empathy, um, desire to learn, uh, and um, flexibility, being able to adjust on the fly. Nice. And finally, if you were told you only had one week left to live, what would you do? I would, uh, wow. I would <laughs> go spend as much time with family members and friends as possible. I would put all my money into making memories and just, you know, spending time with them. Time is awesome. Time is important. I, I would agree too. All right. That's awesome. That's it. That's it for our questions. Thanks for that awesome. participating. <laughs> that was great. Hey. Thought provoking. Some people listening to this do, does not know it, but you you have a, a great follower on TikTok because I think I you're doing a lot of wonderful stuff in TikTok and helping people understand mental health. So thank you. where can listeners learn more about you and reach you and understand what you're doing? I mean, what are you doing and, and how can people learn more about it? So I'm using TikTok as a platform to promote mental health awareness uh, and break down, you know, complex you know, mental health conditions in a way that's clear and concise for people to understand, you know, anywhere from like seven to 12 seconds. Uh, and different little skits and music, you know, uh, video content ideas that make people more comfortable talking about mental health and, and being open. On TikTok, you can find me at uh, at Doctor Dot Sarfo, uh, and on Instagram is just at Dr Sarfo. And those are the two main platforms where uh, I post content. So if I post it there, you know, it can be seen anywhere else. But that's like my my two main channels. I see. But you're also on other, other social media as well, not just that. Right. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Dr. Kodo Sarfo, Facebook, the same uh, link, Dr. Kodo Sarfo, YouTube as well, and also uh, Twitch. I just started Twitch streaming, All right. uh, which is you know a gaming platform where you can play different games and also just talk to people. So my uh, goal is, my goal with Twitch is actually to get to the guys, you know, I feel like there's an issue with male mental health and guys really? not being comfortable to be vulnerable enough. And I figured that by playing games, I have a controller here and I have my whole Twitch <laughs> setup. So, you know, to be able to play like Rocket League or Madden and just talk about, you know, mental health, I think it's going to provide a safe space for a lot of guys who uh, wouldn't otherwise talk about these things. And looking back to myself in high school, I wasn't the most forthcoming with how yeah. I was feeling. So I'm trying to be who I needed when I was younger. That's awesome. You're kind of bringing mental health closer and making it more tangible in their environment. That's the plan. You know, that's awesome, Kojo. Um, you also have a website too, right? That's correct. It's uh, www.kojosarfo.com. All right. Awesome. Kojo, thank you so much for coming on board and being thank part you. of this episode. I really appreciate it. I think when people hear about what you're doing, they'll be very inspired as well. You know? I appreciate so it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.